Good morning, church. We are going to be in John, or First John, chapter 2, reading verses 15 through 28 this morning, as we talk about not loving the world. And make sure that we clarify that, because there is some of the world which we want to love, obviously, because God so loved the world. So let's begin by reading our scripture, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 28. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know the truth, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. And if what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things that is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you remain in him. So now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, as we read your word today, Lord, we want to rightly understand it, rightly teach and preach it. Lord, we we pray that you would make it easy for us to understand. Help us, Lord, to be changed by your word. Help our lives to be transformed. Help us, Lord, to be repentant of our sin and drawn to you for salvation. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us now as we study. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm sure if I were to ask any of you, where is your favorite place on earth? Where is your happy place? if you will. Where, where is some place that you would want to go? Whether it be for vacation, whether it be some place that you visited on a mission trip, some place where you've been visiting family, 
If you've not traveled outside of Fairdale, where's your favorite place in Fairdale? If we think about that, we, we can think about some really good places, right? I've been fortunate enough to, to travel a little bit with work and travel on mission trips and, and be able to do a little travel, getting uh, my, my kids back and forth to places. And there is a place on the island of Oahu that is probably about my favorite place uh, in the world. And when I think about this place, and I'm not telling you where it's at because I like to keep things secret like that because it's a beach, right? And you just don't want those things getting out. But it's, it's a beach on Oahu, we'll just put it that way. Uh, as you get there and you park and you walk down the little walkway, you get to see a glimpse of turquoise water and white sand. And there's hardly any people and when you get there, all you can hear is the waves and birds, right? And there's not a lot of noise and other things like that. I, I've been there multiple time and I, 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 times, and I love going there, um, probably to the nauseam of, of my, my kids when, when, or my wife when, when we have an opportunity to do something like that. I just like to just kind of sit, right? I'll even sit in the shade because with a head like mine, you have to protect yourself from the sun, right? When I think about that, and I think about other places that I'm sure you guys have been on the earth, and you think about the beauty of God's creation, when we come to a passage like this, and it's like, don't love the world, we sometimes are like, okay, well, what about that, right? Or maybe we think about people, right? We think about the reason that Christ came. God, after all, created mankind, and then he sent his only son, so that we should not perish because he loved us so much that he sent his son. But we have do not love the world. So I think it's important for us as we begin to look at a sermon titled, Do Not Love the World, we need to think about what it is we're, we're actually talking about when we say world. And in verse, verse 15, as we, we started out, we jump right off the bat, title of the sermon, first line from Scripture, do not love the world or the things in the world. I believe as we read this, John is not necessarily talking about God's created world, the universe. Certainly there is a component to that, but when God created things, he said things were good. And God created those good things, and who, who are we to say these things are not good? Now, we live in a fallen world. We, we would all agree that our world is marred by sin. I believe the weeds that I have in my garden are a result of Adam and Eve, right? We, we know that they were, uh, they were tending the garden beforehand, and we, at least I believe they were maybe a little more aggressive growing now. But it's not creation. God, God has given us the beauty of our world to draw our attention to his existence, to show us beauty and majesty and power that takes place on one tiny little planet in his creation. So do not love the world, I, I don't believe, is all about the physical created world. And I also would say that I don't, I don't think it's about necessarily the people, right? Because as, as I mentioned, that God loves people. God created us. He sent his son to die for us. So what are we talking about? Well, I believe that what John is getting to, the point that he is, he is making here, is that we are not to love the ways of the world. We are not to love the system of the world. We are not to love the sinfulness 
of the world. We are not to try to enjoy the things of the world in a sinful manner. And as he tells us, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So this warning about loving the world, I believe, if we think about the things that are not lovely, they're not beautiful, they're not good in the world, they're related to sin, right? They're related to excess. They're related to three things that he gives us in verse 16. Notice he says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. So we're going to take a look at these three things. And as we do, I want to give you three, three main points that we will be looking at today. We will be talking about a love that leads to life. A love that leads to life. We will look at knowing the time and the truth. Knowing the time and the truth. And finally, confidence in the promise. Confidence in the promise. So let's begin by looking at these three things, these three examples that John gives us. And in a manner of illustrating these, uh, I I would like for us to... uh, maybe put a finger or flip over into Luke chapter 4, and we'll take a look at the first 13 verses. Uh, The reason we're going here is because uh, John has given us lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride in one's possessions. And friends, this is how Satan works. Satan, who is at work in our world today, has been working the same since the very beginning. We could just as easily take a look at the fall in the garden and talk about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride in possessing something uh, and, and looking at Adam and Eve taking of the fruit and eating in the garden. But for our purposes this morning, we're gonna look at the temptation of Jesus by by Satan. So first let's take the lust of the flesh. Scripture says, and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. One of the biggest understatements in all scripture, after not eating for 40 days, Jesus was hungry, right? Uh, I'm hungry if I miss lunch, right? And we're talking 40 days of fasting and praying, depending upon the Lord. And Satan tempts him with a lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is a desire for us to fulfill a need. In our world today, that desire is often fulfilled with food. It can be fulfilled with things that we, we often don't like to talk about, drug use, alcohol abuse, things like that, things that our body, our flesh desires. And Satan uses the weakness of Christ having not eaten to approach him with a lust of the flesh. 
And he, he says, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread, tempting him by questioning his sonship. And of course, Christ responds to him by quoting scripture to him, saying, man shall not live by bread alone. Today, we struggle with a lust of the flesh. We struggle in our country with obesity. We struggle in our country with drug and alcohol addiction. And Satan is at the root, tempting us with the desires of our flesh. And we need to understand that this is a way that Satan works in each and every single one of us. He is, he is trying to tempt us. And if we are weak and if we are not prepared, we will fall to the temptation. There is no sin in the temptation. Notice Christ was tempted, but he did not sin, right? We can be tempted and not sin. It is possible through the help of the Holy Spirit. It is possible for us to withstand that. But I want us to see that the pattern that Satan is, is using is the same, and it is consistent, and it is tried and tested, and he has had many, many, many people fall, starting with Adam and Eve, to the temptation of the lust of the flesh. Second, lust of the eyes. If we continue on in looking at our example of Jesus being tempted by Satan, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, in a moment of time, and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In looking at the beauty of the world, and in my earlier example, trying to get you guys to think about a beautiful place that you've been, if you were offered that for ownership, that you could have that if you would just give in and worship, the temptation that Satan is offering is he's offering something that he doesn't really possess. Notice he says that it has been delivered to him, but it is not his. It is not his to give, but he is tempting with the lust of the eyes. In our world today, this is, this is probably easiest illustrated for us by understanding what a clickbait article is. Or if you've been on YouTube, they sometimes will put like part of the video up there that something funny is happening or they'll put some words on there. And what they want you to do is they want you to click on it because they want you to see the article. They want you to see the video. They're tempting you with your eyes. This is beautiful. I want to look at this. This is the root of pornography. This is the root of the pornography problem that we have in the world. It's the lust of the eyes, and I would say coupled with the desire of the lust of the flesh. Satan uses this to try to tempt Christ, but again, as, as Christ pushes him back, he quotes scripture. No doubt many of us have fallen to temptation and sinned through the lust of our eyes. The final one that we'll look at in this example is the pride in one's possessions. Scripture says, and he took him to Jerusalem and set him at the pinnacle 
of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written that he will command his angels concerning you and guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This example is pride in what we have. Right, Pride in our possessions. Christ here is being tempted because he had angels who had been charged to care for him. And throwing himself off the temple was a, a showing that I can do what I want to do. Right, I'm going to display my power by throwing myself off here because I know the angels will come and minister to me and save me. For us, in our struggles today, maybe that, maybe that looks a whole lot different, Right? But I think that we can all agree that we still struggle with pride. I believe pride is, is one of the things that's at the root of much of our sin problems that we deal with today. Pride in how much money we have or what type of job we have or where we live or what we're able to, to do from a skill perspective. Pride in all sorts of things that really make no difference in the world, but we're still prideful about them. And as Satan fails again, it says he looks for an opportune time. If we think about how Satan tempts us, we should recognize these as we're talking about them. As we call them out, we should recognize, yes, I am tempted in the flesh. Yes, I am tempted by what I see. Yes, I am tempted to brag on myself and my possessions. So how can we protect ourselves and fight back against this? I, I had wanted to make sure that we didn't leave us with, here are the attacks of Satan, good luck, right? We want to make sure that we understand that as believers, how, how is it that we are able to bear up under them? Well, we do so by first following the example that Christ has set for us. If we wanted to look in Scripture for this, we can look in Ephesians 6. Uh, 10 through 18, and we're given the armor of God as we look at protecting and fighting back against the temptation that we receive from Satan. And there in Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10, it says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the schemes or the, against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit in all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert always 
Keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Notice that as we're given the armor of God here, we are completely covered by the word of God. Our sword, our shield, our protector, our provider is the Lord God. And he has made it possible for us to stand in a world that is evil, a world that we should not love, a world that is against the cause of Christ. We also need to note as we look at not loving the world that there is no middle ground given from John. There is no middle ground given in Scripture. I know most of us, the world, loves to deal in the gray areas. Is this really wrong? Is this wrong in this situation? We love our situational ethics. We love the ability to skirt rules, and we, we, we tend to live in that area. But there is absolutely no third option when it comes to following Jesus Christ. We are either going to love the world or we are going to love God. That's it. There's, 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 no, there's no room for us to think that we can still be a good Christian while embracing a lifestyle of sin. You cannot do it. To think that you can do that is to show that you are not a follower of Christ. We cannot embrace the spirit of the age that is at work in the world with one arm and then think that we can put an arm around our loving God with the other and think that we can have it both ways. You, it, you cannot. You will either love the world, which will lead you to death, or you will love the Father, who will lead you to eternal life. The lie that you can be a good Christian while living a lifestyle of sin is a lie from Satan. It is the same as him saying, if you are the son of God, or did God really say, or let me show you these really good things. Let me, let me tempt you with a pride in these possessions. Let me, let me show you how you should, you should fulfill the desires of your flesh. You can still be a follower of Christ. No, you can't. It's important for us, important for us to know that love for the world leads to death and that love of the Father is the love that leads us to life. As we move on in Scripture, we see in verse 17 it says, the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. If we put our love and our trust and we put our possessions and we store up for ourselves things in this world, it is going to pass away. It will not last forever. Only those things that are of heaven, only those things that are of God will remain forever. Verse 18 continues, it says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. And as we turn to this section of Scripture, we get to our second point, which is knowing the time and the truth. We know that it's the last hour because 
We have those who are anti-Christ. And as we read here in John's writing, I think there is a specific and a general mention of antichrist. Yes, we have heard that antichrist or antichrist, the person or um, the, the one that is spoken of in Revelation is coming, but he mentions that many antichrists have come. And that may ask us to beg the question, well, what, is, what does that mean? What does antichrists plural mean? And I think what, what he's meaning here is that those who are against the cause of Christ, those who, who are anti-Christ, right? Not, not necessarily a person or a manifestation of a, of a person, but a, a person who is against the gospel, a person who is teaching something other than the gospel, a person who might be openly against the gospel, Certainly, I think that in that same category would be those who would teach the gospel and then other things in addition to it, or the gospel minus these things. One of the groups of people that that John was was dealing with and the church was dealing with in this time was Gnostics or Gnosticism. They believed they had special knowledge that went beyond what was contained in Scripture, and you had to attain this knowledge in order to truly be saved. And that is a lie, right? That's the gospel plus special knowledge. I preached a few Sundays ago on gospel plus, and we want to recognize that that is anti-Christ. That is against the gospel. And John goes on to say that because we have these forces at work, because we know that anti-Christ is coming, because we have people who are now anti-Christ in the world, we know that it is the last hour. Now, when we think about the last hour, we think 60 minutes, right? We, we think that it is impending. It, it is coming immediately. But what, what he's meaning is that we are in the last time, right? We're in the last period of time before Christ returns, it's not necessarily meant to give us a specific date and time because we're told in Scripture that we will not know the date and time that Christ will return like a thief in the night. But this is to let us know that we are waiting for Christ's return, that all things have been accomplished and we are merely waiting for the end to come. Because we are in the end, there are those who are seeking desperately to lead us astray. Satan is working because he knows his days are numbered, and he knows that he will not win in the end, and so he is seeking to lead people astray. John provides a very full treatment of Antichrist in Revelation, but we need to be aware of those who are working to subvert the gospel. As we've talked about not loving the world, and as we've talked about knowing the time, knowing what is going on, knowing what season it is that we're living in, we need to make sure that we are understanding the truth and that the truth is only found in God's word. If anyone, even an angel from heaven, is what scripture says, comes and teaches you things that are contrary to what is in God's word, it says, let them be accursed. Paul says it a second time. He says, I say it again. Let them be accursed if they're teaching something contrary to what is in God's word. It's it's not enough for us to just know what time it is. 
friends. We have to know what time it is. We have to know the truth so that we can be living out the truth each and every day so that we can be accurately telling others about what it means to know Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior. We, we, we need to be able to tell them how it is that we can follow Christ. We need to know what the truth is so we, so we can recognize the lies that the world tries to tell us. Because if we are not in the word, if the word is not in us, we could be easily led astray because we don't know what God's word says. And it will be easy for someone to say, does God's word really say that? Well, I thought it said this. Well, I don't know. We have to know the truth. And we know the truth by studying it personally. We know the truth because as believers in Jesus Christ, God has done something tremendous for each and every one of us who are faithful followers of his. He has given us his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit helps us understand his word. It helps us know the truth. We oftentimes have questions about I said faithful followers a minute ago, and we sometimes have questions about people who seemingly have fallen away. And as we look in Scripture here, knowing the truth and following the truth, let's look at it with that in mind. Let's look at verse 19. It says, They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belong to us. For those who are following Christ, that's a lot of back and forth there from John, but he's trying to make it extremely simple, that there will be people who will profess Christ. They may be baptized. They may attend church for a period of time, but then they may completely fall away. And those are difficult things for us to reconcile Because as Christians, as pastors especially, we are burdened when we see people fall away and stop following and stop attending church and stop living what appears to be a life after Christ. We're fearful for their souls because we have scripture that tells us that there will be people who will show evidences of faith for a brief period of time, but because of influences of life or difficult times, they will fall away. And right before this, remember, it's talking about those who are against Christ. And I think these two things are tied together. Those who at once said that they believe but have fallen away and they are now actively working against the cause of Christ. I believe that these antichrists that he's talking about are not just people who hate the church. These are potentially people who were part of the church for a period of time and then have fallen away and now are actively working to subvert and to sow discord or, or change what the gospel says. They're working against the cause of Christ. It says they belonged to us. Friends, we ought to be broken when we have people who come and uh, profess Christ or baptize, join our church, and they're here with us for a period of time, and then they're just gone. We should be We should be caring about them. We should be broken over them. We should be praying for them and reaching out to them. It is. It's it's, it's heartbreaking. 
And I'm not, I'm not talking about people that are moving and going to join uh, another church, a like faith church somewhere else. I'm talking about people that just completely walk away from, from the church. Because it says that clearly none of them belongs to us. And if they do not belong to us, he's saying that they do not belong to Christ and they will receive the penalty of their sins at the judgment. For those of us who are faithful and continuing to follow Christ, as I was talking a minute ago about us having the, the Holy Spirit to help us, verse 20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. We know the truth not because we're super smart. We don't know the truth because we all went to seminary and all of us are sitting here with master's and doctorate degrees in in theology. We don't. We have the Holy Spirit who is teaching us along with the word of God to know what the truth is, to evaluate whether things are correct or not, to recognize lies when they are told to us. Continuing down, it says, I've written to you because you, not, uh, written to you because you, not be, excuse me, not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know the truth. I had to get my negatives correct there. He didn't write because they didn't know. He's writing to them because they do know. He's encouraging them in that. And because no lie is going to come from the truth. So the more that we know about the truth, the more that we'll recognize the lies, the more that we'll be able to put down the lies and answer back to Satan when he tempts us with Scripture, with the truth. That's really at the heart of what Jesus was doing. He was answering the lie of Satan with truth. And truth cannot, truth cannot be defeated, right? Satan is, Satan is not going to be able to overcome the truth. He's not going to be over, overcome the power of God's Word. And that's how we are to respond when we encounter lies. Verse 22, who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? There are churches, there are religions that believe false teachings about Christ. And it says, who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. So we need to know these truths. We need to believe these truths. We need to hold on to these truths. We need to proclaim these truths. We need to build our lives upon that truth foundation if we are going to stand in the days of temptation in this world. Finally, as we, we look at the third and final point of confidence in the promise. What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. I love that word remain because that means it's already there, right? You don't, you don't get to remain in something unless you're, unless you're already in something. And he repeats as John does in, in, in his writing. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and the Father. What a beautiful thought that is for us to remain. Because we are saved, right? We are saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. We say that a lot. Right? Talking about our salvation. 
I'm saved today because Christ has saved me. I am being saved because I am still here and I'm not yet present with the Father. When I am present with the Father, it will be complete, right? I am saved, being saved, will be saved on the day that I am with him in glory. And what promise do we have? He has given us promises, right? Our promise that our salvation is secure, our promise that we are saved is in the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And verse 25 says, this promise that he himself made to us is eternal life. Eternal life through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And he sealed it with the Holy Spirit. So now, little children, Remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right is born of him. The promise, we have confidence in it because of he who has given it. We have confidence because he has guaranteed it. We have confidence because he has given us the down payment in his son, Jesus Christ. And we have confidence to stand before him, not because we are good people. We have confidence to stand before him, not because we have done all of the things that we're supposed to do. We have confidence to stand before him because when he looks upon us, he sees us in light of his son, Jesus Christ. And our sin debt has been paid, and we are part of his family. We are his children. That's why we can have confidence to stand before him at the day that we go to meet him or he returns for us. In nothing else can we have confidence. So in closing, I want to take us back to the passage that we read for our scripture reading this morning. And in that passage in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 6, it says, No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one or love the other. Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So we think about this, this picture of serving two masters. I want to take us right back to thinking of, this, of the temptation of Christ that we talked about too. Are we going to put our faith and trust in the things of this world? Are we going to love the things of this world? Are we going to to be devoted to and worship the things of this world? Or are we going to be devoted to worshiping our Lord and Savior? Are we going to be devoted to God and have a love for him that leads to eternal life? Because we can't have it both ways. This is not Burger King, right? You, you can't have it your way. It's either God's way or it's God's way. Those were the same by the way. And if we, if we have it God's way and we are repenting and following Jesus Christ, then we have the promise of eternal life. But even if we choose and we are not following, we are still going to end up getting it God's way because God is ultimately in charge of that. And we will receive the due penalty of our sins and we will receive the punishment for our sins because the sin, has not, the sin debt has not been paid if we are going to live hoping that loving the world is going to work out for us. Ultimately, God still has 
the final say, and that final say will be judgment. So I have a couple questions before we, before we close. For those of you who are believers, who do you love? Who are you following? Are you following after the lush, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes? Do you take pride in your possessions? Have you drifted away from the one who has called you? Are we living for Christ? Or are we trying to have our arms around two things and hold on to both? Because that's not going to work. If you're living in that, repent. Repent of that sin. I'm not saying that you're lost. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that you're not a believer, but I'm saying that there is a tremendous warning that those who, who try to choose both will, will suffer punishment. And we need to honestly question our walk. We need to honestly question our heart. Are we faithfully following the Lord God or are we seeking to follow this world? For those of you who are here this morning and, and, and you, were, you were not a follower of Jesus Christ and you're, you're enjoying the living of your life and you're like, but I really enjoy these things that you've talked about. Some of the things that you talked about that you said were sinful were things that are part of my life. I would encourage you to look at, at the, the payment, the penalty payment for following the sinfulness of the world. I would encourage you to count the cost of following Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to understand that continuing to live in that way is going to end in an eternity in hell. Not because I'm mean and not because I, I, I want to, to preach about hell, but it's important for us to know that there are consequences to our actions. It's important for us to know that we are in the final hours and that today is the day of salvation. It's not, hey, I'm going to put it off and I'll eventually get myself cleaned up. No. Repent and turn to the Lord. I would encourage you to understand that loving the world is basically being an enemy of God. God has created wonderful things. The beach that I mentioned earlier, I, I really hope the Lord lets me go there again. I enjoy that. I enjoy seeing mountains. I enjoy seeing the ocean. I, I enjoy spending time with my family there, right? But those are not the things that my hope is in. Those are not the things that I am worshiping. Those are not the things that, that I have set my heart on. My heart is set on the Lord. My heart is set on following Jesus Christ. And I am going to fail. I'm going to make mistakes. You are too. But let's follow him together. Let's encourage each other, church. Let's be faithful in following. Let's be faithful to God. Please join me as we pray. Lord God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We, th we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord God, that you would, would help us as we, as we go out into our week. Lord, we pray that you would help us to love you more than anything else and that we would not be distracted by the good things that, that you have created, that we would not be distracted by the things of this world. We pray, Lord, that if there would be any here today that did not know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, that they would make today the day that they would surrender and come to you for forgiveness. We ask and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.